Welcome to another uh, installment of Disciple Life, the Bible and Everyday Life. I am your host, Carlos Garduño, and I'm always very happy to introduce my companion and number one character for this particular program, Brother Dan Newberg. Pastor, how are you? I'm doing well. Struggling with being called number one, but uh, thanks, bro. Okay, glad we'll, to have you, you back in we'll, divine. We'll update it. There you go. Yeah, I'm, and today we're not on location like we were last week. So it's yep. a pleasure to be uh, back in, in town. Um, and so this past Sunday, Pastor Dan provided us a teaching out of Matthew 24, verses 42 through 51. And the title of that is Confidently Expecting. And so what we want to do is allow... Pastor Dan, to walk us through some of those things that he may not have been able to communicate to us through the sermon, because again, you can only communicate so much uh, through 30, 40 minutes. So first things first, what's on your mind right now? You're, you're saying you're, you're doing well, but what's going on? Um, I am just celebrating a, a new life in Christ. Um, we had the privilege of of baptizing a young lady from Natalia uh, this past Sunday. Um, and in response to this message, or at least what God's been doing in the lives of, of some others in the, in recent weeks, um, some new families came to join our church and uh, two new uh, Christians came to, to profess their faith in Christ and, and request baptism. So I am, I'm rejoicing in, in God's movement um, in, doing what he what he says he's going to do and uh and that is give life to to whomever would come and, and turn from their ways and turn to him right and and we do rejoice it's always refreshing to see the word of god being taught and proclaimed boldly and this is nothing to do with you it's simply having that particular um focus on the scriptures that then allows the spirit to to touch the human's heart. So that's, that's always a, re, a point of rejoicing. And even more so, um, as you reminded the congregation that the angels rejoice in heaven, knowing that there is a new soul that was dead and is alive, was lost and is found. Uh, again, quoting the Bible, Jesus teaching on the parable of the lost coin, the lost sheep and the, and the prodigal son. There's jubilation, uh, when one of God's, uh, children comes home so we rejoice alongside you brother that's always a good thing um, as always we want to remind our audience that we would love to hear from you and that we would we want to uh, have questions comments so that we can engage with you um, with that being said let's get right into the text uh, the bible's the bible tells us this stay awake for you do not know which day your lord is coming and so that is the opening to this segment of the Bible that you presented to us on Sunday. Um, you, you brought up a good point. The word or the phrase stay awake has a very military style of a sentry. And so why don't you walk us through how can we as Christians today, as members of the household of God, remain awake and for those who are not Christians, what does it look like to be awake and to remain awake? 
Sure. Um, so depending on your English translation, um, the ESV says stay awake. Um, others will say keep watch. And so it, it bears this this idea of a sentry who's standing at the at the fence uh, or the the uh, the the perimeter wall uh, who's keeping uh, a watch out for for someone who may be coming. Um, and so that's that's the illustration that Jesus uses in challenging those who would dare follow him um, to to stay awake and be ready at a moment's notice for his return. Um, and so. In answering your your question about how we can practically live this out, um, it's it's this idea that staying awake or standing watch isn't uh, isn't this idea of um, just waiting, right? It's I mean I'm sitting in a very comfortable chair right now. Uh, we've been doing a, a lot of things uh, that that are related to vocational Christian ministry. Um, but uh, th this idea of just waiting is would mean something on the order of enjoying my seat without being about anything related to a kingdom purpose. Um, it means just assuming that Jesus is coming and and he's left nothing to us to do on, on his behalf, but um, draw air, consume resources and wait until he brings us home or he, or he comes. Um, that's, right. that is a falsity. Um, a, uh, a proper, what's called eschatology. That's one of those, uh, you know, multi-dollar words that come from theology. Um, a proper eschatology will have, you know, about the, the time of the end, um, that because Jesus is coming, we have that awareness that he's coming and he's coming at an hour that we will not know. We've been left a task to continue to do until he returns. Now, the, the we is the church universal. That is everyone who would follow after Jesus Christ as Lord. We've been left a task. What is that task? It's the task that he gives to the disciples um, and to, to go and, and, make, uh, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Spirit. He has left to us a mission to go make disciples. We continue to do this until Jesus comes. That's, that's right. what we're supposed to do. Um, the, the thing that... I, I want to to invite into consideration or conversation is we can say as Christians that we believe in a literal hell. Mm -hmm. We can say as Christians that we believe that Jesus was literally raised from the dead. We can say as Christians that Jesus is literally returning. Yet if we believe those things and do not fulfill the mission that he's left to us, then though we are Christian in our beliefs and our understanding, we act as though everybody will be saved in the end, irrespective of whether they have faith in Jesus Christ or not. That's not true. You're, you're, the, the, the claims of, crypt, of Scripture are quite clear. You're either in Christ by grace through faith or you're not. Um, and right. so if we are if we're affirming these very literal things and the great commission that Jesus has left to us, 
then it's incumbent upon us as we're staying awake or standing watch to be about our master's business. So that means working for the kingdom. Now, Carlos, you and I, I think in everybody's understanding, work for the kingdom because we are employees of a Christian church. Right. That's not that that's not what Jesus is is he's not just talking to to guys like me and you in this passage. Right. He's speaking Correct. to every last person whether you've been called as a teacher uh to go teach in a in a in a homeschool or a public school setting. He's speaking to um the men who will come tomorrow morning to pick up my trash can as they do on Wednesday mornings in Divine. He's speaking to those who would drive um, city trucks and and serve this community as dog catcher. He's called us and gifted us for purposes in the, the communal life that he's gathered us to. And in those vocations, we are still to be about the task of working for the kingdom and advancing the kingdom by the proclamation of the gospel. It's right. working. It's and that it's it's by our working in kingdom activities, no matter what we vocationally do, no matter what what we do to earn our pay, that testifies to our watchfulness, our our standing guard, our keeping watch. Otherwise we are failing to keep watch because we're just assuming really by action that everybody's really going to get saved in the end anyway. Right. So one of the things that uh, you, you shared with the congregation, it was toward the end of the sermon. You make the illustration of a pastor who has a depiction of Christ looking into his office and he reaches out to a seasoned pastor and says, asks the question, uh, Jesus is here and he's looking at me. What do I do? And the answer is look busy, look busy. Um, look and busy. so, yes, it's a joke, but it, it gets us to think about the importance of the great commandment, the great commission. And what does it mean to be a Christian, which is not just to do the purchase of a fire insurance and say, well, I'm well and protected and I just have to wait for kingdom come. Uh, but rather to be out and about doing the work. Um, why don't you walk us through, why is it so easy for us as believers to fall into the negative side of this description that's in the text between a wicked and the faithful servant? Why, because why you mentioned on Sunday, yeah, the, the, why is it so easy for us to fall into into the into the, the idea that we don't have to be urgently about the kingdom work. It's, it's easy for us. And the way I introduced it was with the, the Aesop, uh, Aesop's fable, um, with the, the, the story about the, the, the kid who cried wolf, right? Um, for 2,000 years, Christians have been claiming, preaching, teaching, expecting Jesus to return. And the language of scripture is at a moment's notice with immediacy. Yet humanity's fault is our words um, are not God's words. 
Um, in other words, they, 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 they do not represent the, the fullness of God, nor, nor do we have the mental capacity to really appreciate things on the scale that God does. So right. when God speaks to immediacy, that God's definition here is not ours, right? That um, a day is a thousand years, as uh, a thousand years is a day to God. So the, the, this concept of time is not to with relationship to God is not the same relationship that we have to time. Right. Yet, because the boy has cried wolf, or because Christians have cried, if you will, that Jesus is returning for two thousand years now, and he's he still tarries, or uh, if you will. He still has not come. The right. believableness of this, though, though we attest to the truth and accuracy of Scripture, the believable of it in a practical sense is maybe not so much, right? Like, right. like I, I know Jesus is coming, and we're we're recording this, giving away some things. Uh, I am speaking right now on four at four twenty p.m. on Tuesday, November twenty first. When I go home to my family after five o'clock today, I mean, I'm going to go home to my family because Jesus hasn't come yet, right? Because that's 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 our that's our conscious reality, and that's informed by the fact that well, for two thousand years he hasn't come. Um. Yet the call, and so we we fall into the this perception of uh, because this isn't immediately true in our understanding of immediacy, then then we don't prioritize things as we should. Right. That, that I would offer to that to you that way. Um, right. So that that's where we fall into this. Um, and so if, as a consequence of that, you see the things that Jesus talks about, uh, about that servant's attitude when they don't, when the servant doesn't believe that Jesus is actually coming at a moment's notice. When we've allowed ourselves to think, yeah, he's coming, but but not really, or, or not right now, at least. Um, right. We stop expecting it. when. In reality, we should be living not in fear because of his return, because if we've if we've been redeemed, then we should be living with expectation of the thought of joy that he could be coming at a moment's notice. And at a moment's notice, we'll be looking upon the face of our savior. Right. Um, but we should be living with that expectation that he's coming at a moment's notice. And be found busy like that, that illustration from the pastor and being overjoyed by that. Otherwise, when we don't live with that expectation that he could come right now or right now or right now, well, then we fall into our prioritization of self over kingdom things, right? So um, you wind up as the illustration that Jesus gives. Um, the servant begins to mistreat people. He begins to... Uh, worrying about feeding himself and not feeding others. He's not concerned with the word of God or devotional practices. Um, he's concerned about the devotion he has to himself, not the kingdom, not to his master. Um, and there's right. consequences to that. Um, there's consequences to that, which is what Jesus teaches. 
So, yeah, something we see here is, um, as you just mentioned, uh, verse 48, but if that evil slave says to in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and at an hour which he does not know. And so here we have this particular image from Jesus that you presented to us. The master of that slave will come um, oh, and he will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites in that place where he, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, which is what we refer to as hell. Um, I, I wonder how can, what are some words of encouragement as to how, with a, with a new Christian in mind, how can a new disciple of Christ, which we have a few of them in our congregation, begin to lead the life of the faithful servant and to follow that example? I would say this to any Christian, and I, I say this actually as a challenge. Well, I say that I offer this to the new Christian, and I, I acknowledge that this will be a challenge maybe to the mature Christian who has, hear this in love, maybe overcommitted themselves um, and, and overstretched themselves. I, I, I advocate for a principle of find yourself in worship with other believers every Sunday. Be, be active in worship. Belong to a group. Uh, belonging to a group at First Baptist Church Divine most commonly means participating in a Sunday school class, although that may not be exclusively that, but most commonly that. Right. And find a place of service, right? Um, that, that could be from rocking babies all the way up to um, serving on a committee um, or, or, or something in between, anything in between. One place of service one group with other believers, close-knit, growing together, edifying, challenging, growing each other, and active in worship. That would be being found busy or being or honoring the master's task. And I, I, I nuanced it that way to the mature believer who may be overextended to say, sometimes we find ourselves serving in 17 places and confusing this idea of being found busy um, at the fault of also not honoring things like Sabbath and other practices that actually speak to the nature of our relationship with Christ. Um, because we also then project our understanding of busyness um, from a worldly perspective into our, into our Christian life too. Um, I, I strongly advocate for irrespective of tenure in the Lord, be active in worship, belong to a group, Find a place of service. Do those three things. Do them well. And and I think those are great uh, practices that definitely help us to grow in Christ. Uh, and you're right; it applies not only to the to the novice, but also to the expert or to the more seasoned believer. No experts, just people further along the journey. I wanted to ask. Um, Walk us through another illustration that you used to talk about the return of Christ, um, hide and seek. And you, you also used the, uh, instead of counting one Mississippi, it was one millennia, two millennia, three millennia. Um, 
how does this understanding of God tearing or waiting and being patient with humanity, how does it testify to his love, his grace and mercy towards the church and towards a world that opposes him? Um, well, it speaks to the fact that he is just as Jesus. He, he, he is desiring to seek and save the lost. God desires a relationship with every one of us, you, I, everyone who's listening, everyone in earshot of this. That your creator also desires to be in relationship with you. And he has done all of the work necessary to reestablish that relationship with him. All we need to do is have faith in his son. Come, believe upon him. What this speaks to is God is desiring to extend that opportunity to everyone, to grant them that. And so the intention with the, the hide-and-go-seek game was to bring the idea of how in our time frame, um, you know, we count one, two, three, four, and then we go about playing the game. And whether you're ready to play the game or not, the person who's seeking is coming. Right. Same idea. Christ is coming. Now, his time frame, it may not be our sense of seconds, but he's coming and he's counting down. And the very fact that now we're at 428 is we are now eight minutes closer since the last time I announced the time on this recording to Christ's return. Right. And that's all I know is that we're eight minutes closer right now. Right. To when? I don't know. Right. It could be well beyond our lifetimes. It could be well beyond our children's lifetimes. Right. But yet we are commended to expect him. Right. Anytime. Sure. All I know is that we're, we're drawing closer with every moment that passes. And so one of the things that comes with that, that you also gave us a word of warning is don't be like so many, and you made a reference to a, a Baptist pastor in the New England area, if I remember correctly, who decided that he would work up the math and he would be able to predict that Jesus would return in the, what, 1800s, late 1800s or so? 1844. So even early 1800s. So how should... And I know this for us, this seems very plain. Should Christians be concerned to predict when Jesus comes back? Since we're being told to be alert. It's how we define being alert, right? Being alert means serving others, serving him, proclaiming the gospel, living the gospel, um, uh, sharing faith. That's the nature of being alert. Being alert does not mean um, standing guard, ready for the invader, and being ready with a some weapon to to defend. Um, that's 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 a different thing. So, in other words, if we're reading tea leaves or news reports, we're frankly wasting our time because the truth is. 
God, God in Christ Jesus is tarrying because he desires relationship with human beings by grace through faith in his son. Right. So, and not to say that we can make him come by winning all the lost to Christ either. Um, don't know what, why he's waiting or what he's waiting for. Don't know. But he tells us, be busy, be about my business. And he's defining this as living the gospel, preaching the gospel, advancing the kingdom. That's what we're supposed to do. So if we're watching news reports and trying to identify, um, <laughs> trying to identify what nations um, are, are, are bad actors or um, where the Antichrist is born or who the Antichrist is, that could be really interesting dinner conversations, but it matters not to anything with respect to what Jesus is teaching us here. Right. Um, I think one of the things that sometimes we can get so twisted is the, either we, we, we choose to believe that God, Jesus didn't mean when he say, when he said, I should say, um, when he said to the apostles, no one knows the day nor the hour. Uh, and that somehow we need to predict, um, when he's coming back. Uh, but we will take him very leisurely when he commands us to take care of the needy, take care, speak up for the oppressed, and to be a voice for those that are destitute, like the widows and the orphans, which I think, um, and I think we both agree on this because of conversations we've had, correct me if I'm wrong, where we talk about the uh, importance of showing the love of God to those that do not know the love that's available to them. Um, and so I think it's important for us to remember, just as you said, that being aware and being vigilant over what's uh, his return is, is to serve people. What would be a word of encouragement and practical application to the church beyond uh, what you, you taught us on Sunday? What would be the very first step to begin to... Uh, uh, assess or even to use a more spiritual word to discern the best way to serve others. What would be a, a first step to that? To pray, to pray and, and ask God to, to mold us. Um, and, and what I mean by that is, to mold us uh, either individually or corporately to be to be usable um, to serve to mold us so that we would have eyes to see where the needs are to to mold us so that he might find us ready and trustworthy mm. um, it, it goes without saying and this is not to our credit or anything to brag about. But the fact that there are new disciples in this church is in a sense a, a word from God that, that there is a trustworthiness to an extent. Right. In other words, there, there, there's some affirmation in that. 
But yet, we know there are so many more who have yet to be reached. Um, but that needs to start with God's leading. And my, my, my response in prayer is, or my response with prayer, is that in the knowledge that through prayer, God will shape us and conform us to his heart and to his will. Um, and so that cannot start anywhere but from his leading and his initiation. Mm. Yeah, pray, prayer is the work of the gospel. Everything begins, continues, and ends with prayer. Um, as we continue moving forward, I, I, the question that, that I have then is, as we are, again, finishing now the gospel narratives and moving now into the epistles in our reading of the New Testament, right? We're moving now into the book of Acts. The church is coming into, into center stage. Jesus is ascended. And now we are looking into the, the teachings now of Paul, Peter, John, and all the other apostles together. You, you, you may be a week ahead unless I'm a week behind. I think we got one more week in the Gospels, <laughs> don't we? Yeah, sorry. I, I like to, I like to, uh, the anticipation gets me. Anyway, okay. as okay. we look to the transition from the Gospel message, not leaving it behind, but now it impacts the world, as we see that in the book of Acts oh, and yeah. beyond. How can we as Christians in the 21st century be encouraged by what we read in the pages of the New Testament? In again, in light of our vigilant call to remain alert, to look for the master, but not to be so eager that we are counting stars, doing numerology or anything like that. How, how how should we be encouraged by what happens in the pages of the New Testament? <laughs> well, we should be encouraged that God will show himself faithful no matter our circumstance. And he invites us to meet him in the faithfulness uh, to what he's left to us in, in, in the new covenant. Um, so... We can be encouraged that God is faithful. Now, where we need to nuance or to have our minds renewed is if we seek encouragement from uh, as Christians who uh, have affiliations with churches in this in this uh, era, we need to to be careful that we don't seek encouragement from the world standards of success. Um, not every church will have numerical growth. Not every church will have financial growth. This podcast may be viewed by one person, and that's probably Carlos. Um, and he's probably watched it seven times just to just to bring the rating. No, right. no. Um, <laughs> but the, the 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 point is that you know sometimes when we talk about this living the gospel, sharing the gospel. Sometimes we, we believe that the effectiveness or the success of this is that someone's been someone who was lost was won to Christ. And then we measured our, or standard our, uh, our success by that. Mm. But God never put that on us, right? 
he he put it on us, if you will, to cast those seeds. But he's never put the burden upon us to bring growth to the seeds that are cast. So, right. ex- example, my family um, passed out candy last night for Halloween. Um, the 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 gotcha to everyone who's doing Halloween is uh, every one of the bags you get from the Newberg house is there's a gospel tract in it. Um, and we we do so prayerfully um, praying that as God's word is shared, that there will be a seed that takes that finds fertile soil, as Jesus talks about in another parable. Um, the comfort I take and my family takes in that is the burden's not on us to bring life from those seeds. That's always been on God. And he says that. The burden's been on us to cast those seeds, to be faithful to the tasks he's given to us. Um, So in the same way, the church's responsibility is to be a a missional church, to, 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 to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. It's never been on us to, to make people have faith. That's the work of the Spirit in bringing life. It's been our responsibility to bring the Word of God to them, to teach it, to preach it, to live it. That's our, that's our responsibility. So we should take encouragement by when I talk about God being faithful, that if we would be faithful in these small things, He'll be faithful in the very big things. Right. Yeah, and I think as you're as you're telling us and reminding us about the growth component, uh, I believe it's Paul who writes to the Corinthians who says, uh, "Someone planted, someone watered, but God is the one who provides the increase." Meaning that there is actual fruit that's born of the proclamation of the gospel. That there's actual converts and disciples, which are both one and the same that come into the into the fold and so that is all god i think that's important for us to to remember now this is my last question and then we can you you can leave this wherever you want to which is always your prerogative as we look to jesus when he's giving this the timing is near impeccable uh, not surprising just Perfect. He's about to go to the cross. He's about to go and be handed to his enemies so that he can become the expiatory sacrifice, meaning that we can have, he can, he suffers the death we all deserve. And, and, and we have the benefits of his grace and his mercy because of his righteousness. If we put that in the, in the foreground, as he, as he's telling us this, how I guess the best way that I can word it is how does this command change its light by placing it uh, on the road to the cross and to the empty tomb? How does the cross make us interpret this? Yes. Okay. I guess I'm the word guy in this one, huh? Um, the cross interp- forces us to interpret this with this reality. One is he foretold the cross. He foretold his resurrection. Mm. Batted two for two on those. 
what makes you think he's not going to bat three for three? Um, and, and please forgive the, the baseball analogy. I'm thinking about the World Series right now. Um, <laughs> but the, 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 the point is that, first of all, Jesus doesn't lie. Why would he, why would he begin now? Um, but also, um, what does this mean? Well, you talk about the cross. That is, this is where words fail um, to begin to describe the magnitude. Um, and so we begin to, to take away our angles and perspective and slices. Um, so the cross, um, a theme of the cross is sacrifice. Um, we see God sacrifice himself in, in the second person of the Trinity. Uh, he who became, he who knew no sin became sin, right? Um, so when we see Jesus teaching about the expectation of his return and the idea of keeping watch means being busy, being about the master's business, expecting his return, that means, friend, you may need to sacrifice to prioritize him. That means you may need to set yourself um, uh, aside or your wants or your preferences in considering others before you consider yourself, just as Jesus considered you before he considered himself. Um, the, the cross, um, the cross testifies to the fact that when Jesus returns, he will come to to divide. He will separate sheep from goats. That is what he will do at the end. So because of the cross, <laughs> we who are born goats can be transformed into sheep. And it's incumbent upon us to make the message of the cross known. Or as Paul tells the, Corin the Corinthians, we preach the cross or we preach Jesus and him crucified. Um, so we should not, uh, with, in knowing the expectation of Christ's return and what comes with the return, be it the judgment, we should not be ashamed of proclaiming this message of Jesus and his cross because it is the cross that makes way for salvation. Um, so I, I would, I, I begin to offer maybe those three perspectives about how the cross shapes our understanding of this passage. Maybe you have some others that I'm, I'm not considering right now, but. Um, no, you're doing great. We're, we're both doing great for being almost the end of our workday after a very interesting Tuesday. <laughs> so, no, I think, I think it's important. One of the things that I took away from the message on Sunday is one, the challenge to again don't do not be complacent but continue to seek how you can favorably and glorifying to god serve others uh, i also took away from the message that well god is very patient with impatient human beings and that he is exceedingly merciful uh, one of the biggest um I guess you could exceptions that some people take to Christianity is if God is truly powerful and loving, why is there so much evil in the world? Why can he not wipe out all that's evil in the world? And again, 
no surprise to people, I actually enjoy listening to John MacArthur and Narcissus Sproul and Stephen Lawson and, of course, Alistair Begg. And it is um, an answer by R.C. Sproul, the late R.C. Sproul, that, uh, where he said in a Q&A, a panel with other pastors, you do realize that that means you would be gone too. <laughs> Meaning if God wipes all evil from the world, unless you are sanctified by God, you are perfected through the power of the Holy Spirit, everyone is wiped out. Um, because we try to define evil from our own perspective, not from the perspective of a thrice holy God. And we have trouble with the idea of God because yes. we want to define God in our terms. Right. Was that a mic drop I just heard? I, I don't know. Maybe. Well, I heard something there pop right after you said oh, it. I think it you may was, have hit something was, by accident. Was my, no, it was my desk drawer. Sorry. Um, <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, but we, I, I guess, I guess since now it's weird. No, so we, we, we try to define God on our terms, meaning um, we set expectations upon how God should be, what God must right. be. Um, we, we philosophically apply an understanding of what our version of God would look like, do, or what have you. Um, and we struggle with the fact that God is God and we are not. And just that. I mean, that, that alone is plenty to keep us awake all night. If we, if we just think about it. So no, I, I do want to thank you again. I think the message was on point. I think it, it, it's exciting to, as we anticipate Christmas and Thanksgiving, Advent, as we anticipate the anticipate, sorry, the end of the chronological reading study plan, to see how we are going to the great climax of eternity, if you will, where we are going to see God face to face, where everything will be made new in the blink of an eye, and where we see the consummation of history with the return of the one who alone sustains creation by the will of his power uh, through the word. So that to me is exciting, always exciting. Um, do you have any, anything you'd like to, anything, anything as point of conversation, any highlights from the sermon preparation that you thought were outstanding, but didn't have time to share? If I did, I can't remember them now. <laughs> Welcome Sorry. to the Tuesday Blues. <laughs> so um, I do want to say this. Um, we are looking forward to some wonderful things as we get now to the Thanksgiving season. As we also get to Christmas, I do want to highlight that yesterday was not only All Hallows Eve or more commonly referred to as Halloween, but for anyone who does not worship with a Roman Catholic setting or for those that um, are anything but Roman Catholic, it was also a very important day. Uh, 505 years ago, a German monk by the name of Martin Luther decided to present his views on how the church could be reformed, not divided or split, but reformed. 
And this was uh, at first during the reign of Pope Leo X, if I'm not mistaken, and then it goes on to other popes. And it's known as the Protestant Reformation. And so do you have any thoughts on, on that particular celebration on October 31st? Lots of thoughts. Um, but I mean, it, it's, it is, it is a underspoken of day in contemporary Christianity, um, in terms of influencing as the spirit of God led, um, a, a reformation of the church. I'll say we are probably at a point in history where we are prayerfully asking for the spirit to do another form of work in a similar way um, right. for, for the sake of the church heading into the, the next 500 years. Um, but it, uh, if, if you are a Christian worshiping outside of a Roman Catholic context, October 31, 505 years ago is a day that is of vast importance to you, whether you realize it or not. Right. Um, another another day to remember is that it was in 1521, if I'm not mistaken, that uh, German uh, that Martin Luther is standing before the Council of Worms, uh, and he's giving basically his deposition before the Holy Roman Emperor, and he's asked a very simple question: Are these your books and writings? Um, yes, they are, and then. The follow-up is, do you recant all that you have written in them as standing as heresy? And he's given one day to come up with a, an answer. And he basically tells something to the effect of, unless persuaded by Scripture and the Spirit of God, I cannot and will not recant. Here I stand. I can do no other. So help me God. It is the resolve of being led back to scripture, all because of his spiritual mentor uh, sent him to study a doctorate of divinity. And because before that, he was reintroduced to the New Testament. And he was reading the letter of Paul to the Romans and the letter of Paul to the Romans finishes chapter one, which I argue is the whole point of the letter to the Romans. It's the, the central point. But the righteous shall live by faith, faith alone. And that then becomes the, the point that he breaks down throughout the letter. That is the righteous, those who are children of God live by faith. Um, again, I, I come out of a Roman Catholic context, and I remember going on similar pilgrimages, dressing up as saints, uh, especially because in, in Mexico, we don't just have birthdays. We also have what, what we call santos. is when you, the day of the year lands where you actually are named after a saint, and they celebrate you like it's your birthday. So one of the things that I love about this is that we don't have to look to a pastor or a priest as individuals to seek forgiveness of sins. I also love that we don't have to 
be afraid of, of, of the church telling us that we are not in, under the graces of God because we do not abide by their, a certain rule that does not come from Scripture. And more, and more importantly, which is one of the things that Luther, much like Gutenberg, got flagged for in Tyndale, that the word of God was given to the people in their language. As a matter of fact, it was Martin Luther who translated the first Bible from Greek and Hebrew and Aramaic into the Vulgate of, or meaning the common language of the German people. And that is something that infuriated the Pope and the Cardinals because the, they considered the, the word too holy for people to engage with. And they considered people too inept to fully appreciate that God wanted to talk to them and tell them, live by faith according to the scriptures. So anyway, I like church history. I'm, I'm kind of goofy like that. Sorry. <laughs> well, not sorry. It's just one of the things I enjoy. Thank you for the overview. Yeah. Do I get an A plus on my his church history test? Uh, we'll talk after. There you go. Um, Again, if you worship in a context outside of the Roman Catholic Church, I hope that you would appreciate that many men and women have died to make sure that we have a, a copy of the scriptures in our language. Um, and I hope that you would appreciate that even today there are people groups that do not have the whole Bible in their language. Uh, they only may have a book or a segment, New Testament or Old Testament. So appreciate the fact that by God's grace, we are able to receive and appreciate his word in our own language that we can understand if we just take time to read it. And I encourage our, our audience also to appreciate that we can have not just one Bible, but we can have many Bibles at once. Whereas in some countries today, some people cannot own a Bible because it's illegal. Because it's not, it's contrary to what the world says uh, is the norm. And even in the time of Luther, um, to own a Bible, you have to be extremely wealthy. And we're talking about paying years, uh, years wages for one copy of the Bible. Because it was all written by hand. Anyway, those are my thoughts for today. And, uh, and I thank you for indulging me on in those. Any closing remarks, Brother Dan? None other than thank you, bro. Well, I want to thank you for always being always being patient and kind and willing to go with my shenanigans. We're not talking about football these days because, in case you didn't know, it is uh, Major League Baseball uh, season, and we're coming to the World Series. And tonight there's a game, so if I'm not mistaken, Game three, and so I believe that people are rooting for the Astros. Well, people in Texas are, right? Uh, dude, you can't assume that. Um, <laughs> I, I, I am. I am. Uh, let's just speak with confidence on what we do know. I'm rooting there for the Astros. There you go. Yeah. And so uh, I, who is the other team is the Phillies? Phillies. Okay. And I believe most of the other uh, states in the union are going for the Phillies because they want them to win their first World Series in for, since forever? I don't know the last time the Phillies won, um, but there's also this, dude, it's, it's a loaded thing. There's this thing that the Astros cheated a few years back. And, and I remember was, that, yeah. Yeah, so they're, they're, it's kind of a loaded thing. 
Okay, we won't talk about it. All we do know is this. Jesus Christ is the only way to salvation. We get that from the Master himself. He is the way, the truth, and the life, and no one can come to the Father except through him. We please we uh, ask you again to send us questions and comments so that we can engage with you, and we would love the opportunity to address that. Again, Pastor Dan is already working on his response for the very first question we had, and we, he wants to do his due diligence because it's a great question that has to do with something very relevant for today's youth, uh, and even just for everyone in, in general. So God bless you. May, may you be blessed. Brother Dan, why don't you close us out in prayer today? I'd be happy to. Uh, I'll bow my head for us. And God, you are uh, ever so loving and kind and, and gracious beyond any imagination that we, we can conceive. And Lord, we know that uh, that you have given to us this perfect word um, that uh, is um, authoritative for our life. Father, I pray that as we have heard a message on it and now some conversation about it, Lord, that uh, by the work of your spirits, you would plant your word firmly within us and that you would lead us uh, first and foremost to, to trust upon Jesus Christ and to salvation. And in our trusting, in our believing, that we would take heed to the teaching of your son, that we would concern ourselves with his business, trusting that he returns quickly, um, not finding ourselves with the attitude of the unfaithful servant, but uh, finding ourselves faithful now so that when he returns, we might hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. Father, I thank you for this podcast. I thank you for everyone who might be listening. Lord, may you bless them, and may they live the abundant life that your son invites us to. We pray this in his name and for his sake. Amen. <music>